Hey guys, it's Marie Shadows. Before we get into this episode of the Square Circle Podcast, I would like to take a moment and talk about our sponsor for this episode. It is Zencaster. Have you guys heard of Zencaster before? Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R, Zencaster. It's another way for people to produce their podcast episodes in audio and video format. And I'm here to let you know about Zencaster. You know, when I started podcasting, it was me just jumping headfirst into this podcasting game. I did not know where it was going to take me. I didn't have the roadmap. And so my earlier podcast episodes, if you ever go all the way back to 2019 in the catalog, that those episodes were really bad. I was using a recorder on Discord because Discord has that kind of thing. But the audio was really bad and just really wasn't there. And I just tried everything until I stumbled upon Zencaster. And Zencaster made all of my audio sound perfect and everything was in tip-top shape and I send them out now and that's why I use Zencaster. But I created a Square Circle podcast so that way I can talk about professional wrestling and give my thoughts, my ideas, and even some feedback to the overall general industry that is professional wrestling. It is my passion, it is my life, and Zencaster makes it super, super easy to record a podcast with them. All you have to do is log in using your browser and start recording. Record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. By the way, when you record in video and upload in video, there is a increase in viewership. People love video. So take advantage of that if you love to record your podcasts with guests with video. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality even if the connection is unstable. As you know, recording with guests remotely can be a headache. Zencaster here fixes that problem and allows the audio to readjust and reconnect so you can have the highest quality in sound that you never thought was possible. Speaking of sounding great, Zencaster makes all the audio in post-production super, super easy. It removes the awkward pauses in conversations. It removes the ums and the ahs that we all say. It becomes very smooth and buttery, very sexy. And it definitely adjusts any kind of loudness and levels in the background with a click of a button. So it's that easy to have Zencaster do all the work for you. Now... If all of that excites you and you want to start your journey with Zencaster, look no further to this. All you have to do is go to Zencaster.com. That is Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com forward slash pricing and use my offer code, which is going to be three simple letters, S-C-P. You'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. And now it's time to share your story with the world when you head over to 
Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use SCP as the offer code to get 30% off. Make sure to tell the world your story. The world is waiting for your story. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows. And on this episode, we have a lot of wrestling to go over. And I'm just going to very quickly go over Forbidden Door 2 and Money in the Bank and tell you guys what I've been doing. And then the next episode, which is episode 300, I'm going to be talking about Goddesses of War Wrestling because I did commentary again for them and talk about their upcoming events. And I'm definitely going to need your help with that. So let's get right into talking about Forbidden Door 2 and then I'll jump over to Money in the Bank. I'm only going to talk about the important matches of Forbidden Door 2. I'm not going to do a whole full review. The reviews are already out there, you know. I know people are going to favor this pay-per-view and be like, oh my God, it was so great. And I'm like, no, there's still some flaws and some stuff that needs to be worked out. And I really do hope that, you know, one day, you know, Forbidden Door can become a staple in professional wrestling where, um, you know, it's very memorable. Again, memorable. This is what, the third Forbidden Door, which I might be off, but you know, um, or maybe the second one, uh, it might be the second one, but you know, I always say, and I'm always going to stand firmly by this, that Forbidden Door needs a little bit of storytelling. It's not bad if a pay-per-view has a story behind it, because if you're going to name it, especially if you're going to steal the name Forbidden Door or phrase Forbidden Door, because Tanahashi coined it, by just talking during a backstage comment and here comes Tony Khan to be like, oh yeah, let's trademark it. Yeah, let's call it Forbidden Door. And it's like, do you give props and money and royalties to Tanahashi? Tanahashi is super humble, by the way, but just questioning, like, does he get royalties because he was the one talking about it and sort of like framing the idea of having a forbidden door type of pay-per-view. Now, over in Japan, they did the All Together show where it's all the wrestling promotions coming together, having these big matches. And I can say that Japan knows how to put together an All Together, all puns intended, pay-per-view where it showcases the best of the best of the best. When it comes to the Forbidden Door for here in the United States, I understand that sometimes getting people is a little bit difficult, especially that Forbidden Door was over in Canada. So visa issues, travel issues. I get that. I totally do. I get that. However, you got to plan this accordingly and plan this ahead of time so that way things can work out and then stories can be happening. And I understand, again, like travel is really a big thing. But, you know, there's other ways to have these stories built up between Japanese wrestlers and American wrestlers. We have the Internet. We have social media at our fingertips. And you're telling me that you can't have a Zoom call 
where it's streamed live on YouTube, on Twitch, on Kick, on anywhere, even Twitter spaces. You can't have some type of streaming back and forth confrontation as in like talking, as in like a press conference. I was going to say streaming service, but that's not what we're talking about right now. But you're telling me that you can't set up a streaming press service where wrestlers can talk shit about each other, build up some story, have that Japanese translator there. So that way it can feel like you want to tune in and spend your hard earned money for this pay-per-view because Forbidden Door is not on a network. It's not like WWE has peacock and if you have peacock you can watch the pay-per-views you are paying fifty dollars maybe sixty dollars to get a pay-per-view where the promise of it being memorable and have replay value is not there i am very 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 big on replay value when it comes to like video games and wrestling like entertainment wise like it has to have replay value for Forbidden Door, there really is no replay value. Let's just, you know, agree to disagree if you don't like what I have to say. But there's no replay value. All right. So now let's just get into the three matches that I definitely, definitely want to talk about. The first one being the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship was not the main event, nor even close to the main event. And I was upset and I was yelling about it in my Discord. By the way, if you have not joined my wrestling Discord, please go do so. The link to that will be down in the description below. We talk about professional wrestling. The G1 is coming up. We're going to cover that. We cover every single wrestling that's on every single day on a weekly basis. We talk with like-minded fans. So if that's something that you want, then please, by all means, come over to the Discord and we become friends. We have a lot of fun, and I show you behind the scenes whenever it is a work day for me. As I said, I am doing commentary for Goddesses of War Wrestling, an all-women's wrestling promotion. So you get to see the behind the scenes for that. So make sure to join the Discord. So in the Discord, I have allowed people to send voice messages. Luckily, everything has been PG, so I don't have to really worry too much. But I did send voice messages like, why is Sonata having his match in what feels like the middle of the card for Forbidden Door right now? Like, why is this happening? And first of all, you guys already know how I feel about Jungle Boy accepting the challenge and them trying to put Jungle Boy on a pedestal and he had his heel turn and we saw what happened and the match was just mediocre. It was okay. Nothing special, nothing new. Jungle Boy does not have any scars on him, anything that can be like, yeah, let me root for him. Nothing like he could be the underdog. Like he shouldn't even be in the same ring as Sonata. Give him a couple more years. Give him a couple more hard, good matches and some really good opponents and maybe he could be of the caliber of Sonata but Sonata is like way above him and by the way guys Sonata used to use a moonsault as his finisher before he decided to use the cold skull submission move and for Jungle Boy to lose to a moonsault that's pretty freaking embarrassing very embarrassing and then we had the heel turn and then we had that promo on AW Dynamite where 
Jungle Boy trying to look tough, trying to look cool, have his hair back and like this five o'clock shadow, maybe like seven o'clock shadow with some sunglasses and talk about that he's young, he be cashing checks and he fucks the hottest girl there is on the roster, which is Anna Jay. And I'm like, man, I would never want a man to talk about me like that and make me feel like I'm just a trophy wife if, you know, my ass is that big and everyone focuses on my ass and my looks. Like, I want some dude to say some Shakespeare lines to me, some Shakespeare poems, you know, make it a little bit romantic. Like, I said this in one of my group chats that, you know, I want that Wade Barrett sort of finesse when it comes to wooing me or sweeping me off my feet and I know this isn't about me but at the same time it's like when Jungle Boy delivered it like was that supposed to make all the other single females like quiver in their knees you know maybe in their mind is a chance that they could have you too like I don't know you're propping up Anna Jay yes we know you guys are together but you're not there in your storytelling arc to be like i got the hottest girl around now if he kept like losing right if he was on a losing streak then sure you could probably pull out the line of like i lose i still get paid and i get to go home to the hottest girl there is no one else can say the same thing like something like that i'll be like all right cool i get it you know it makes sense even, you know, losers end up having the hot girl sometimes. Like, that's a correlation. But just to randomly be on AEW Dynamite after Forbidden Door to be like, I have the hottest chick. Like, that promo, man. Like, Jungle Boy, if you need help with promos, let me know. I'm just throwing it out there. Like, I will help you out, man, to the best of my ability. But, you know, I understand promos are not your forte, and you could definitely learn a couple of things or two. But that was just coming out a little too strong. And no one believed you. And it's like, you got to practice this. You got to build it up. You're not supposed to just go out there and go from zero to 100. Because then it's just like, you're going to sink. And then what else are you going to do? There are some other clips that I saw too. That Jungle Boy comes out of the car and gets a little interview. And then Hook comes in all dressed in a black hoodie. And it's really weird because there's no huge light to see what's going on. So when Jungle Boy kicks Hook away, I'm like, where the hell did Hook go? Because he wears the black hoodie, I couldn't see what was happening. I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, why the hell is Jungle Boy still in the in the car? Like, you guys got to plan this out, think it better, and ensure that the way that a heel is supposed to be represented Makes a lot of sense. I know this is the first hero run, but, like, man, I know it could be a lot, a lot more better. Anyway, like I was saying that, like, Jungle Boy loses to a moonsault, which is embarrassing. Sonata keeps his IWGP World Heavyweight Championship title, and then that's it for the night. Like, Sonata could do whatever he wants. The only reason why I am so hard on Jungle Boy is because of his comments and the way he thinks about wrestling and nothing has really changed in the years he's been there. Nothing has really, really changed. If you want to become a heel, you have to really go 
a drastic route to change your look. He has beautiful hair. He has amazing curls and it looks really amazing and it's awesome, right? He would have to cut all that off, get a buzz cut, grow out his beard, gain some muscle, maybe get some tattoos or some piercings or something where, you know, it can be perceived as being a badass. But even then, he has such a baby face that it just doesn't work. And that's why him trying to be this badass, trying to be this heel by saying that he has the hottest woman on the roster that he gets to bang every night. Okay, cool. That's like a dime or dozen, man. Like, who's really going to be afraid and intimidated if someone says that to them in real life oh yeah the reason why like i do x y and z is because i can cash checks and i have the hottest girl okay we could go to other places in the world and get the hottest girl and beauty is in the eye of the beholder so how is that going to be intimidating for you to go into your next match to defeat your opponent because you have a psychological advantage over them i can promise you right now that your opponent is not thinking of your girl like, that's not happening. So I don't know why you would even say it. Like, it bothers me to think that that's all you think of that when it comes to a heel. There are different heels. We have a lot of different templates in the world of professional wrestling for what it means to be a heel. Jungle Boy cannot play that heel playboy. Maybe he can. Like I said, he would have to switch up his whole style, but he would have had to do it very slow and gradually and maybe take some cues from Christian in order to be that playboy heel. But right now, it's really not working. It really isn't. And the only reason why like, I am continuously talking about Jungle Boy is because make it make sense. He should just be a straight-up babyface because being a heel does not work for him. Now, if there were some instances within his years at AEW where we can consider him being a heel, like it was actually working for a little bit, him doing underhanded tactics and this and that, then yeah, sure. But his main focus is what he does in the ring and how he wrestles, and even his wrestling style has not changed. So it's like, how can I believe that you want to be this heel when your wrestling style has not changed, your song has not changed, you want to be known as Jack Perry, but you still come out to the Tarzan Boy song, you still have gear in Tarzan-like Jungle Boy character and gimmick, but yet that you want to be taken seriously as a heel. See, you can't just be like, yeah, I'm a heel, I'm going to cut this edgy promo that's very cringy and then you have to accept that I'm a heel that doesn't work that way you have to change everything about you this is why it wasn't really thought out and it should have been thought out and that's my main reason with AEW is that it seems like anybody could do whatever they want even if people say that they go to Tony Khan and they're like hey this is my idea and all he says yeah that's cool you know go out and do it there's no actual feedback there might be feedback I don't know I'm not there but what it seems like, what translates to TV, it's like they could do whatever they want without a second of opinion, without any input, and without anybody sitting down and being like, this is how we are going to craft you into being the best heel or at least a decent heel where people can catch on. 
that's my biggest thing is that sometimes the young wrestlers think that they have all the answers in the world, think that it's going to just magically work for them. But no, you have to really study your craft. You have to really apply yourself. Like I say every single time that wrestling is the purest form of theater. Do you think the actresses and actors, when it comes to a theater play and they have to memorize their lines verbatim or sometimes improv, that if they don't study their craft, they won't be the best actor for the job and somebody else will take it. So that's why I'm always talking about how Jungle Boy can improve, what's not working for Jungle Boy, what may work for Jungle Boy. It's because the moment that he said those comments about him going to people that have his like-minded thinking, his like-minded wrestling, he's not really going to improve. And then him saying that he doesn't want to be the next MJF by cutting a 30-minute promo. Well, dude, the best heels of the business never really cut a 30-minute promo. Their promos were, like, simple, straight to the point. Now, if you're doing, like, a storytelling, very story-driven storyline, if that makes sense, then, yeah, you have to cut a 30-minute promo. Yeah, you have to be a Bray Wyatt. Yeah, you have to be an MJF. Like, it's all situational, and that's what happens when, like, you're so young, you want to group everything as a generalization and don't realize that everything in wrestling is situational. Storytelling is situational. You have your entities like, you know, Undertaker and Kane, Bray Wyatt. You have all of that supernatural entity that needs the 30-minute promos, that needs the awesome vignettes, that needs the special effects. Then you have people like MJF that wants to tell you a story and you are going to be absorbed. You have the CM Punks of the world, the Jay Whites. Like people who sit there, tell you a story and you get absorbed by it. And those are the 30 minute talkers. Everything is situational. This is what Jungle Boy needs to understand that everything in wrestling is situational, even though it's driven by storytelling and driven by wrestling, meaning like technical, high flying, psychology, all of that. And if you're not going to appreciate wrestling for what it is, someone else is going to come along and take that spot if you're not willing to work on your craft. This is why, again, I'm still talking about Jungle Boy. But that's enough for this segment of Jungle Boy versus Sonata at Forbidden Door. The next match I want to talk about is Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay Part two. This is for the IWGP United States Championship title. Now, what I really don't like what AEW does is just randomly change babyface and heel. Randomly just change it just for the sake of it and listen to the crowd and they adjust appropriately. Like, no. The crowd, yes, sometimes can definitely change who could be a babyface, who could be a heel depending on, like, you know, their excitement and stuff like that. But, you know, Kenny Omega came into this as a heel. Then you had Don Callis betraying Kenny Omega, and then that automatically makes him a babyface. Like, at this point, Kenny Omega should be the anti-hero rather than a heel or a babyface and should definitely be so angry at Don Callis for what he did that he should definitely go after him. But Kenny does Kenny things, like... 
you know, I don't know, man. And then for some reason, I don't know when this happened, but Osprey has been showing signs of being a heel, even though he's supposed to be the leader and set an example for the United Empire. Like something happened along the way where he's just this jerk and presenting a jerk like character. And I'm like, why are we doing this? I understand that in wrestling and as a wrestler, you want to win by any means necessary. And I will definitely allow that to the fullest. I will definitely allow that to the fullest if somebody wants to win by any means necessary. But when the rest of the United Empire isn't really like that, you go from zero to 100 to be this bad guy. And I understand that you're in Kenny's hometown in Canada and Canadians may not like Europeans and Europeans may not like Canada. Like, I totally get that story. I totally do. However, in this match, like, I don't know, man. Like, it's such a different one from the first one that it's so weird because Kenny came into Japan acting as if, like, that's his home when it really isn't. But Osprey was holding down New Japan Pro Wrestling even after Kenny Omega left to go make AEW, but yet then had, like, the star power, the advantage, and was able to take out Osprey like, you know, it was nothing. And then we come here to Canada, and Osprey has most of the momentum. Of course, takes the Canadian flag and wipes his ass with it. Like, we haven't seen that a million times and proceeds to have a very emotional roller coaster match with Kenny. I still think it was a little overbooked, in my opinion, just a tiny bit. And it went on for a little too long. And then we get to the elephant in the room with that Tiger Driver 93, which, by the way, it was done correctly, you know. And then Kenny wants to just make light of it, you know, so that way people can stop talking about it. And, you know, when you look at it, it definitely does make you gasp. It definitely does make you go like, oh, shit, is he really okay? Now, let me just put this in, into perspective. Both of these men are heavy. Both of these men have muscle. You don't necessarily need to do the Tiger Driver 93 on someone that big unless you really want to end the match. And that should have ended the match. Kenny should not have kicked out of the Tiger Driver 93 at all because then what was the point of using that? You're already a heavy dude. You're coming down exactly on your head because momentum and gravity was not kind to you because you were supposed to at least like level out so that way your shoulder blades can take the damn bump. But it happened the way that it did, and luckily Kenny did not get seriously injured because that was like one second away from either could have been paralyzed or died or anything like that. But luckily nothing to the extreme happened that way. But regardless, like if that was going to be used during the match, that should have ended. That should have been like, that's it. Because that's a powerful-ass move done by Will Ospreay to Kenny Omega. But no, we kept going. Osprey hits his finisher and then gets the one, two, three, gets the belt. Don Callis is celebrating with him. And, you know, luckily, Will Ospreay was like, that's all I need you for because he hired him for security in Canada. There wasn't even, like, a riot or anything necessary. I know it was a precaution and it's story and you're supposed to suspend your disbelief. But, man, like, you know, I don't know. I think Canadians also like Osprey, but, you know, I don't think 
a freaking riot was going to break out. You know, maybe they should have had extras and random people and do like a mock riot against, you know, Osprey to just have a bigger punch to it. But, you know, I just don't like this weirdness where they can switch at any time to tell this story. Because as much as it was a good story and the only thing I was interested on the card because I know the history, I know the story, and I was really upset when Osprey lost the title and then Kenny Omega did absolutely nothing with the belt. Which, by the way, New Japan Pro Wrestling, stop giving your titles to people who are not going to defend the shit out of it. And if they are not going to defend the shit out of it, make some matches, have Tony Khan do something. Like, I'm tired of the best company in the world, New Japan Pro Wrestling, with their best belts, be put on guys that don't really go anywhere else, that really don't, you know, put it up for an open challenge, and don't do anything when you give them the belts. Stop wasting your time. You need to get the press and the publicity and they're keeping it at home. Like, how does that help you guys out? It really does not help you out. So, luckily, Osprey gets the belt back. And then, let's talk about Osprey for a little bit longer. Osprey ends up going back to the UK and attacks one of Dan Maloney's buddies, Leon, and basically ties him up, does the coward thing, and... Rain elbows in the back of the zoo's head while the dude cannot defend himself. Like, bro, what kind of rage are you in? What kind of heel are you being and setting for the United Empire? Again, I do say that wrestlers can do things like any means necessary to win a belt, to prove a point, but not when their opponent is tied up like that. That's a coward thing to do. That's a cowardly act. And just to get Dan Maloney upset when, you know, you could have went over to New Japan during the New Japan Cup. And at least have a backstage word with him to start it all. And if Dan Maloney came out of pocket and said some disrespectful shit, you either would have punched him in the face or you would have been like, I'll see you back home, bruv, like something like that, right? Like you start, you start slowly, you start asking the questions, you start, you know, being nice, but not too nice, but respectful in a way, even though the way that Dan left really wasn't respectful to the group. And I totally get that. But to go from zero to a hundred for not really a good enough reason, you know, maybe there is a good enough reason that he attacked your boys and whatever, but Again, another path that we could have went down was where was Gideon Gray this whole entire time? Gideon Gray has not been seen since some months ago, and he's supposed to be the orchestrator. And like, I would have him at New Japan during the tours to come out with the guys because if Osprey is not there, Gideon is going to fill in as the one who's going to cheer everybody on while everyone else is either working another show. Or the same show and they come out to show support like they always do in solidarity. So I would have had Gideon Gray there to take the leadership role. And just in case if Dan Maloney turned on them, they could have been at least a little bit prepared. But then again, you know, the ambush was just rightfully done. It was really, really good. But see, there are different ways to think about storytelling 
and how certain people can be used and implemented to tell a bigger story, to get a bigger reaction, to get a bigger emotion. Because wrestling is all about emotion and it is wrestling. It's all about the wrestling, you know, the moves, the psychology, but it's also about the emotion, the memories that you make, the connections that you make. So again, going back to talking about Osprey, Osprey beats up Leon and then they have their match, which was on July 9th. And so Osprey and Leon fight, Osprey wins, and then Dan comes out, beats up. Will Osprey manages to get a spear in and Osprey rolls out and Osprey is with his young boy, his student, Callum Newman. And we see that Dan Maloney is in the ring and he basically attacks his supposed best friend, Leon, gives him the drill killer. And then, you know, Osprey is like, all right, we got to go. So we don't know what's going to unfold. We're waiting for more info on why Dan turned his back on his friend. If he did turn his back on his friend or he was just frustrated that he couldn't get to Osprey to do the drill killer to Osprey and want to make it an example out of Leon. Like, I don't know. But that's me catching you guys up very quickly for what's happening between Dan and Osprey. What I really don't like is that when the ambush and the turn happened for Maloney to go over to Bullet Club, Osprey was completely silent on it. Like, you could have made a quick video, like, talking about frustrations and being angry and cut a promo on him after the fact or two days after the fact. But no, it kind of, like, simmered and stewed and, you know, now we get some type of confrontation and I get that Osprey was preparing for Kenny Omega. But, home base the united empire home base the most what was once the undestructible impenetrable group got blindsided and got taken down a notch and somebody decided to ambush attack them and leave for another group so you know your defenses are not as strong as it once was and you wait until after the fact after beating kenny that you want to say something to Maloney like that doesn't make any sense something could have been said very quickly over a video that could have been filmed and then you could have still worried about Kenny Omega and then you know have the match and stuff like that so that's the quick version of what's happening and I am glad that Osprey got the IWGP United States Championship title but that's everything that I need to say about Kenny Omega versus Osprey now let's talk about the main event, which was Okada versus Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson. And I totally forgot that this match was on the card because it wasn't as hyped up. The marketing wasn't there. It's just like, oh, it's a dream match. Okay, cool. But I totally forgot that it was on the card. And that is a very, very bad thing. Like you need to make sure that all your good matches that you want people to remember all your dream matches should have some love and care. If you don't have any love and care for your supposed dream matches, are they really dream matches? Like, I never really wanted to see Okada versus Danielson, but my mind got changed after I heard the final countdown, which brought back so many memories. So many memories of the good Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan, the very good one in Ring of Honor. 
And then Okada, Okada is like the golden standard. That's why he has the Rainmaker. That's why everybody wants to go after him. And the match was slow. It built up. It was good. And then we find out that Okada taps in this match. I'm just going to rip off the Band-Aid because we all know what happens. Okada taps in this match. Like, what? What do you mean Okada taps? And then I didn't like it because Okada is going to go into the G1. He's not going to go into the G1 with any type of momentum after tapping out to Danielson, especially in a block that has all the young kids that want a piece of Okada, that wants to make sure Okada is no longer known as the golden standard in New Japan Pro Wrestling because everybody looks up to Okada as he is the best thing there is, right? Even though Okada is in B block, but it still stands that Okada's not going into the G1 with any momentum. And that's a very bad thing. You just expose a weakness to everybody. This is the one man that should have been protected because he has stories to go fulfill while Danielson has a freaking vacation because he has to heal his forearm after, I believe, Okada did the elbow drop and there was a clean break in Daniel Bryan's forearm and he's injured. So now he has to take some leave. So now there is no story for Danielson at all, but there's story for Okada. So how the fuck does this make sense? Like, these are the little things that kind of bother me about, like, Okada should have went over because he has a story to go tell in the G1 that is going to be in B block and it's also going to affect A block because the young kids, like I said, even though they're not fighting Okada in this G1, they're still going to continue even after the fact of the G1. So Okada needed that momentum. He doesn't have that momentum. Now he has to rebuild the, the momentum and make sure that no one doubts him as he continues to go through the G1 that starts on July 15th and ends in August. We're doing back-to-back rounds. And by the way, the G1 is going to be decided with the top two best in each of the blocks. So block A, block B, block C, block D. Top two gets to go to the finals and, and fight. And it gets a little crazy. This G1 is going to get a little crazy. It really is. And yeah, so I was a little upset at the finish that Okada tapped out to Danielson. And it felt kind of short. And yeah, that was it. That's going to be my review for Forbidden Door. Those three things that we talked about. And I know I'm supposed to get into Money in the Bank. And just very quickly, Money in the Bank from top to bottom. Very good pay-per-view. I enjoy the pay-per-view. Both WWE and AEW could always work on anything that doesn't make any sense. No pay-per-view is perfect. However, in WWE, they always make sure that the matches are at least top-notch quality and all the matches were great. And let me quickly talk about the Bloodline storyline. We had the tag team match of the Usos versus Roman Reigns and Solo. And that was a very great match, top to bottom. Emotional roller coaster, ref bumps, anything you could think of. And the Usos... Jey Uso got the victory, got the pin, the one, two, three over Roman Reigns. And it was great because as much as we want to believe that 
Cody Rhodes was going to finish the story. I accept it now for why Cody Rhodes did not win. And I accept it now that Sami Zayn did not win over Roman and that it is Jay. It has to be Jay. It really does have to be Jay to get over this whole entire situation, him and his brother to get over it. And basically, people did not like the fact that Jay won. People did not like the fact that the Usos won. And every time a fan does some type of fantasy booking or gives their opinion as to why they think that wasn't the best choice of action, you could definitely see the selfishness behind it. I say this all the time. Professional wrestling is a we effort. It is a teamwork effort. It is not an I thing. There are reasons why decisions are made. And sometimes those reasons make sense. Sometimes they don't. In this situation, it made sense for Jay to go and do that. Now, for people to say that Roman should have won, should have kept going, you know, we're going to keep getting the same story over and over with nothing new. No new layers. And fans forgot that the Usos are the top rated number one tag team in the world. And they have been tag team since day one. And they've always been a tag team. So they are tag team experts. How are you going to let the tag team experts lose against Roman and Solo when they have never tagged before? Sure, they could stand in the same ring together. They could cut the same promos together. They could be around each other. They can, like, you know, feed off each other in matches or by each other's side and, like, distractions. But that does not make you a tag team expert. That's what fans were missing is that they totally want to disrespect and disregard the fact that the Usos are tag team made. Because they are tag team made, it made sense for them to win. They know about tag team wrestling better than anyone. So to have Roman win, what the fuck was that going to do? Or even have Solo win, what the fuck was that going to do? It wasn't going to do anything. At this point, in this stage of this story arc... Roman is a shattered man. Mentally, he's shattered. Physically, no. Mentally, yes, because he's still power hungry, still wants to be manipulative. But when the Usos give it their all in the matches, this is why details are very, very important in storytelling, especially in storytelling of these matches. Details are everything. And you can see in these matches that Roman slowly breaks. His psyche breaks. He knows he no longer has a hold over the Usos when it comes to in-ring competition. Because the Usos are on another level when it comes to in-ring competition from a mentally strong point. Now, if they're in the ring just cutting promos like we saw on Friday Night SmackDown... And with Roman Reigns doing the waterworks and then finally low-blowing Jay, like, Roman has the Usos' complete mental trapped in the palm of his hands when it comes to promos. When it comes to in-ring ability, not so much. So for Roman to win, it doesn't make any sense. This is why Jay had to go over and the Usos win because the tag team in-ring wrestling ability is way stronger than Roman's mental hold over the Usos 
and Roman and Solo being a tag team that got made up for the purpose of this because we have the Bloodline Civil War going on and is currently imploding on itself. This is the best storyline in the last years of WWE. Not the last years as in like they're going away, but, you know, in like a decade or so, you know, it's really great. It's coming together. It's an amazing story. And that was really the icing on the cake of having that tag team match happen and Usos going over and them being elated that they won. All right, ladies and gentlemen, those are my reviews for Forbidden Door 2 and WWE Money in the Bank. Let me know what you guys think. You guys can definitely send me a message over at Twitter at Marie underscore shadows. You guys can sign up to the discord and definitely leave me a message. Your thoughts about the two pay-per-views. We do have, like I said, wrestling chat forums specifically for money in the bank and forbidden door Two. join the conversation. Join us over at discord. It is the square circle society on discord and then also on the Square Circle Society newsletter, which is an extension of everything that I do here. Upcoming newsletter include a little mini read bite of wrestling terms. I'm still looking for submissions to submit articles, wrestling articles to the newsletter. And I will be doing a write up, a podcast episode and a quick little vlog about my time at goddesses of war wrestling as the commentator there so you guys will be getting behind the scenes access to that and that's what i like to give back to you so make sure you sign up to marie shadows.substack.com that link and all the rest of the links will be down in the description below please make sure to check out the show notes and support me wherever, whenever you can. But I would love to have you in the Discord. Love to have you on the newsletter. Like, I would love to hear your thoughts about professional wrestling. And then also, I'm going to give him another shout-out. And he's going to get another shout-out on episode 300. But thank you to Mr. Butt for sponsoring me. In order to help me go to Goddesses of War Wrestling to do commentary over in Jersey. And I have a lot more information that mr butt would like me to share with you guys about his woodworking toy workshop and the link for that would also be in the description on the next episode but i do want to say a good shout out to him for sponsoring me to head over there and again guys if you want to sponsor me for the upcoming event that's going to be happening i'll speak more about that in episode 300 for me talking about goddesses of war wrestling so if you want to sponsor me for any event or you want to sponsor me in general, hit me up and talk to me and I could definitely get your brand name out there. I'll put it on social media and I will make sure the world knows about you because I want to give back to you and give you guys a lot more content in the world of professional wrestling. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Square Circle Podcast where I reviewed both Forbidden Door, Money in the Bank, talked a little bit about me doing commentary. And so thank you guys for listening. And I'll see you guys on the next one.